them in prayer. I give honor to them today. I appreciate Pastor trusting me with the Word of God and with the pulpit today. In his absence, it's an honor that I appreciate and take very seriously. I do want to turn your attention to the Word of God today. If you have your Bibles or if you'll turn your attention to the screens. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. This is the words of Jesus Christ, our leader. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. From that text today, I want to preach the title of my message is simply, They Prepared for This. They Prepared for This. God bless you, and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've had this message rumbling through my spirit for some time now, and I've wanted to build a message out of what I felt God was quickening in me and doing in my life, and I could not find the, the mechanism to do it. I couldn't find the, the tools, if you will, to, to get this message across like I thought God would want it until... Just a couple of months ago, I ran across an article, and, and when I read that article, it, it all just kind of came together, and the Lord kind of directed me in this fashion that we're going, in this direction we're going in today. The article was titled the same as my message today. It's where I drew the title of my message. The article was titled, They Prepared for This. It was written by uh, an apostolic by the name of Kelly Middleton. It was published in Pentecostal Life magazine in July 2019. And I'm going to read to you just a short excerpt of that article. It's what caught my attention and was the impetus for my remarks today. She writes this. She says, years ago, we returned to the boat early from a day's excursion in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and we struck up a conversation with the crew. What do you do while the guests are away for the day, she asked. Or I, I'm, I'm reading her words. She said, what do you do while the guests are away, I asked. The deckhand quickly replied, we keep her seaworthy. We can't take a day off. Details of the tedious maintenance routine then spilled from his wind-chapped lips. Phrases like to prevent rust and preserve the wood and keep the instruments working filled the salty air. She goes on to say in the article, she says, Midway into our 45-minute passage, an unexpected storm, an unexpected storm quickly arose. With no land in sight and dark clouds billowing above, unrelenting waves breached the railings, drenching everything in the seawater's path. Panic screams of fear could be heard throughout this storm-tossed boat. Shifting my gaze from the rough seas to the wheelhouse, I observed the captain's capable hands turning the wheel, 
while he laughed and shouted above the tempest to a crew mate beside him. The proverbial light bulb suddenly illuminated my mind, and she remembered the words of that crewman when he said, We prepared for this. Earlier, while sunbeams danced upon calm bay waters, that deckhand and his fellow crewmates prepared the boat, as they did every day, for whatever might come. Now the crew wasn't deterred from their task at hand when the strong winds and rain began to blow. Consistent, preventative maintenance kept the ship seaworthy, giving assurance in the midst of the storm that everyone aboard would survive. They prepared for this. I believe that it was this same idea that Jesus had in mind when he made the concluding statement of the Sermon on the Mount that we read in our text today. With a sobering warning and a staggering promise, he places the capstone on this most famous of all sermons. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew record this powerful words, these powerful words of Jesus, this Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus spends no small amount of time laying out his gospel, the kingdom of God as he was bringing it to earth, the, the, the turning of the religious establishment upside down and inside out, and boldly proclaiming and asserting that the words he was saying did not come to destroy the law, rather they came to fulfill it. And it is this sermon, it's in this Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that Jesus turns orthodoxy upside down by saying things like, Lay up your treasure in heaven. Love your enemies and judge not that you be not judged, among many other things that he shared. He, and it, it's that sermon that he concluded in our text today when we read these verses. And he says, if you hear what I've preached and you've, hear, you, you've heard my words and you do them, you are like the wise man that builds his house upon a rock. But if you choose not to hear and do these things, you are ignoring them at your own peril. And you are like a foolish person that is building their house upon sand with a great and inevitable collapse surely coming at some point in the future. Now, there are two things that we can distill that is implicit in this statement that Jesus made. And we would do well to pause at the beginning of this message and consider the two things that are implied here in Jesus' words. First, he assumes with certainty that storms in life will arise. It's not a matter of if a storm will come. It's just a matter of when. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 further illuminates this idea. Peter writing, Beloved, I think, it, I think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. He's saying storms of life, fiery trials are going to come. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it out of the ordinary. All of us at some time in our journey from here to there will experience storms. That's the first thing Jesus is implying here. The second fact that we can take away from these words of Jesus is that the storm is no respecter of persons. Whether we identify more with that wise person or whether we identify more with that foolish person, it makes no difference. The storm will come to both. Jesus said it best earlier in chapter 5 of his sermon when he said, God sends rain 
on the just and the unjust. The fact is, is that storms will come, and they will come to all. Now, the crowd that Jesus was addressing that day would have been more than familiar with the characteristics of the land and the unpredictable patterns of the weather of that region in which they lived. It was what Jesus was referring to and alluding to, and they would have immediately grasped and understood Jesus' words. The following is exemplary of what the commentaries have to say about Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Quote, In the Syrian summer, when the soil is baked hard by intense heat, any spot will serve equally well as the site of a house. No one can say whether his neighbor has built well or whether they built ill. Only the builder knows. But in the winter, when the rain falls in torrents and the valleys are filled with foaming floods which sap all foundations that have not gripped the living rock, the difference in the wise and in the foolish is the foundation that they choose to build on. And the storm tells the story. And so I'm here to preach this morning from the outset of this message. If you want to be positioned to withstand the storms that are bound to come to every life, then you better know what foundation you're building on. There's really only two realities today. You're either building on secure rock or you're building on shifting sand. The question before us today is which are you building on? I'm here to declare this morning, I want to build my life on the rock. I want to make my calling and election sure. I want to know that the foundation that I'm building on can withstand any storm that may come. I want to be able to say with certainty that I'm anchored to the rock of Christ Jesus. If you feel that way today, why don't you clap your hands and give a shout of praise. Hallelujah. There's two choices. You can either build on rock or you can build on sand. Consider this morning with me, by example, something called the Cape Romano Dome Home. That's a mouthful there. Cape Romano Dome Home, which was constructed in 1982 by retired businessman Bob Lee on Morgan Island. And really, as you'll see in a moment, this house should be called the Morgan Island Dome Home. There's a reason that it's not. Lee designed it to be architecturally pleasing and completely self-sustaining. The house's domes themselves were not only aesthetic but practical. Their sturdy concrete walls rounded, providing superior hurricane protection. You can see it there. He built it on Morgan Island. You see the sand, the, the, um, the, the grass and all there. That's an island setting, obviously, that he built his home. When he completed it in 82, the house was valued at $1.5 million. But in 1992, Hurricane Andrew struck, dealt a blow to the home, making it uninhabitable, though not destroying it. And so the Lee family abandoned it altogether. And, that, and, and there it sat for many years. But then in 2005, it was sold to a man by the name of John Tosto for $300,000. Tosto intended to renovate the home, but unfortunately, 
Just a few months after he purchased the property, Hurricane Wilma struck and eroded that coastline further and destabilized the house's foundation. Over the years, erosion has filled in a small natural channel between the island and the Cape and has completely cut the structure off from Morgan Island. Furthermore, continuous erosion to the barrier in this area has now resulted in the home sitting out in the water with the closest island being Cape Romano, from which it now draws its identification. By 2013, the house was sitting in six feet of water, and in 2016, the house was approximately 180 feet offshore. In other words, it wasn't on land anymore. In 2017, Hurricane Irma hit, and two of the westernmost domes, you can see them there to the left of your screen, you can see a part of one, they collapsed into the ocean, and today only four domes remain standing. I want you to know that Bob Lee built that house to withstand wind. He built it to withstand rain, but he forgot to make the foundation secure. And the erosion that resulted over time caused his house, listen to this, it was destroyed little by little. How tragic that the same can be said of our spiritual lives if we choose to build on sand. We build on sand when we allow the world's definition of success to dictate our lifestyle choices and priorities. We build on sand when we place our confidence in the changing trends of what culture says is priority. We build on sand when we construct our life on values based on what this generation says is true and permissible. We build on sand when we allow this present world to dictate what we are and what we do. I'm here to tell you today you can build on things such as financial security, and the economy can change just like that. You can put your faith in a politician, and politicians can change. They can fail, they can fall, they can do a million different things. You can put your faith in the structures and and, and climates of this world, but all of that is going to fade away. The Bible says heaven and earth shall fade away. Those things are shifting sand. They're passing. The latest rage, the newest idea, so-called enlightened thinking of popular culture, all of that changes on almost a daily basis like so many grains of shifting sand. We have to make sure that we're anchored to the rock. We have to make sure that our calling and election is anchored to Jesus Christ. The sands of time will change. The sands of time will move and shift out from under us and we just might end up somewhere we thought we never would be. I have always been arrested, always been arrested by Paul's statement that he wrote to Timothy. In his letter to Timothy, the second letter, he says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. We would agree today that Whatever the custom and traditions that pagan Greece and Rome had to offer Demas, those traditions and customs have long since passed out of fashion. The world has moved on past whatever the ancient cultural sirens were that called out to Demas, this one-time assistant of the Apostle Paul. But whatever it was that we would probably laugh at and think was so out of fashion today, in his day was enough to cause him to be infatuated with his present world and make a decision to build on that foundation. 
make a decision to build on that sand of time. And now Demas is but a footnote in Scripture when he had the chance to be part of the greatest ministry ever known on this world. Is not this the same choice that is made in our day? Many fashion their life against the backdrop of this present world as it begins to lure and draw their affections. And the decision is made one day at a time, one decision at a time, to build on the sandy foundation of this world. Rest assured today, when your house is built on the sand, Sometimes a big storm will come and blow you away. But more often than not, like Bob Lee at Cape Romano, that shifting sand erodes little by little through the years. And one day you wake up and you realize you're not where you thought you were. Rather, you've ended somewhere that you never intended to be. And the house is destroyed unequivocally and inevitably. And it happened one erosion at a time. It happened one grain of sand at a time. I'm declaring the truth that Jesus taught today. Don't build your house on the sand. Don't build on the foundation of this world. The Bible says that eternity is in the heart of man. Not the temporal. Not the present. Not the fashion of this world. Not the currency of this moment. It's the eternal things that He's placed in our heart. And it's in our lives. God has planted in our lives to build on something beyond today. To invest our life and build our house on something more than what this world has to offer, but to build our lives on eternal truth. In contrast with Cape Romano and its shifting sands, I want to take you to another structure. This one, this story, just less than a year old. It's another structure built on the Florida beaches, and it's given the dubious nickname the Sand Palace. And I'm taking this information from Popular Science website and an article written by Eleanor Cummings titled Hurricane Destroys Beachside Homes, but not this one, from October 25th, 2018. Look at the debris all around this house, if you can see it on the screen, if it's, if it's zoomed in in resolution. Houses all around that are destroyed and in rubble. Eleanor writes, on October 10th, Hurricane Michael spun Category 4 winds around the upper reaches of the Sunshine State. With sustained winds of 155 miles an hour, the tempest was the strongest to ever hit the Florida Panhandle and the fourth worst to make landfall in the, United Sta- in the lower United States. Almost every structure at Tyndall Air Force Base suffered structural damage. The seaside town of Apalachicola, 54 miles down the coast, saw an eight-foot storm surge. And Mexico Beach, which sits halfway between the two, saw three-quarters of its homes, municipal buildings, and businesses damaged. But one structure withstood the storm. Despite its, steps being, its front steps being only 150 yards from the wet and windy Gulf of Mexico, Christen, christened the Sand Palace by its owners, this blocky beach home survived not by luck or magic, but by good design. The Sand Palace has great ocean views, but its proximity to the beach places it in a FEMA-designated high-velocity flood zone, meaning it's susceptible to the worst of a hurricane's waves. To compensate, 
Building code dictates that the house must sit above the projected surge. In this case, that means the two occupied upper floors start 24.4 feet higher than sea level. To support such a structure, engineers had to dig. They had to burrow. Concrete pilings dive 28 feet into the sand. The depth accounts for the total height of the home, and some wiggle room was given for wind-driven erosion. So in other words, they built pilings 24 feet down into the, into the sand to make sure this house was on a firm foundation. Hurricane coming, no problem. They prepared for this. Storm surge threatening beach erosion, no worries. The sand palace prepared for this. In direct contrast to the foolish man building on the sand, this wise man built his house on the rock, and that picture tells the story of what it can do or what it could withstand in Category 4 hurricane winds. The call before us today, Grace Church, and for so many of us here in this moment today, is to build our life on the rock. Your family, your spiritual life, your home, if you build it on the foundation of the rock, it will weather any storm. That's the promise that Jesus Christ made today. And I love what he says in our text. He says, he says uh, the wise man built upon a rock. He doesn't say the wise man built upon the rocks. He says he built on a rock because there is only one rock. First Corinthians chapter 3, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm glad to tell you today, be of good cheer, be encouraged. Jesus Christ is that rock. There is no other that we can build on. There is no other to whom we can entrust our future. I want to build on the rock of Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 continues on this theme. It says they are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. That word confounded there just means to be ashamed. The scripture is saying if we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, will the storms of life can do what they will. The storm wind can blow, the flood waters can rise, and it doesn't matter. We can stand with our head held high, unashamed, knowing that our life is anchored on the rock of Christ Jesus, knowing that our life is built on Jesus Christ. Why don't we clap our hands right now for the promise that Jesus Christ is that chief stone. But we can't build just any way we want to. We must build to spec. Like any good builder, any good structure, we must build according to the blueprints we've been giving, given. Everything God built in Scripture, everything that was done in Scripture in terms of building was done according to God's pattern according to a precise blueprint for construction. The tabernacle had to be fashioned in a certain way. The temple had to very specific ordinances that had to be followed. And the same is true today for the life that wants to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It must be done according to spec. It must be done according to the blueprint found in God's Word. 
We have to build on the truth, the absolute word, inerrant word of God. There are truths such as this, truths such as heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. Truths such as repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Truths such as neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Bible says live soberly, righteously, godly in this present wor- world. These and many other truths of the Word of God contain the blueprint, the pattern, the example by which we must build if we want our foundation to be secure. If we're ever going to be what God wants us to be, if we're ever going to survive any kind of shipwreck, we've got to be prepared for this. And we do it by standing and anchoring ourselves to the truth of the Word of God. Now, I've said all that to say this. This is what I really wanted to share with you. And this moment is a paradox because while it's what I've really come to say, I've struggled with sharing it and saying it because I don't want to be taken the wrong way or taken out of context or seem to be something that, that we're not. And... Ultimately, I decided through prayer that it w- I, I'm going to share it because I hope it will help somebody. <clears throat> I hope it will strengthen somebody's faith. But you guys know <clears throat> what our lives have been like over the last three years, or three years prior to this one. And we lost our home in the floods of 2016. That same year, Dawson diagnosed with leukemia. And we've had people throughout the the journey and even more recently say things like, I don't know how your family made it. I don't know how you got through. And my answer has always been, and it's true even still today, we'd have never made it without hundreds of people just like you surrounding us and, and praying for us and resourcing us and supporting us. You never, you know, man is an island, they say. We'd have never made it. And so that's always been my answer, and, and that is a true statement, as true a statement as ever was made. But as some of you have probably seen on social media, and I've testified about it in a few other outlets over the last week or so, we, we hit a tremendous milestone this week, last week, with Dawson making, it's been one year since he, he completed treatment at St. Jude for leukemia. So he's one year cancer-free, one year post-treatment, and, and it came all the way back around, and he went back to the hospital. Uh, he and Farrah went back this past Wednesday, and the report was 100%, 100, just all the way down. He is doing awesome. His health is 100%. God has been good. God has been good. <clears throat> and and I, I suppose because of that milestone and because of that, that monument, if you will, that time, I've been doing a whole lot of reflecting and a whole lot of thinking and meditating. And, and it's like, you know, it's a perspective that you, I can look back now on those prior three years. And I have a different perspective now than I did before because it's just like if you've ever been in a near-miss auto accident or even if you've been in an auto accident and that adrenaline hits. And then when the adrenaline fades and you start thinking about what could have been 
or what could have happened or how narrow the miss was or, or just how God spared you from a, from a horrible, horrible accident or wreck, something like that. You, you begin to think in a different term. You begin to consider uh, in a fuller sense the whole situation. And so it's been in that vein of thought and in that spirit that I have thought about what we went through and tried to put it all in perspective. And this is what I've concluded. And this is the part that I'm a little nervous about because I want you to understand, I am well aware that we, it's only by grace that any of us stand here. And I'm well aware that anything can happen today, anything can happen tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm by no means any expert or any example of, of anything, okay? And, and, and I'm well aware that it's only by the grace of God by which I stand. But in putting into context and trying to put in context and hopefully helping some folks here today, I've concluded that if there is one thing we did, when people say, how did you make it? How did you get from A to B? How did you, make, how did you get through the storm? I've concluded that the thing that Farrah and I did, our family did, that gave us the best chance of surviving some of the most troublesome storms that life could bring that you could imagine it's that from the beginning, we built our lives 